has spoken. Understand. Asa Shaman. Father, I love you, and I love our church family, and I love the fact that we come together to meet around your word and to be moved by you and touched by you and guided by you and invigorated by you. I love that we have a purpose. I love that every person here matters, and Father, I pray right now, God, you would stir in our midst. Reveal your presence to us. Open our mind and heart to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a friend of mine named Dave Stone was sharing something, and he claims it really happened, that uh, a couple months ago, a seven-year-old girl named Hannah got baptized. And so their whole family got together. They celebrated it. They were excited. They had people come in from out of town. And after the church service, they went over to their house, and Hannah is just running around. I mean, she's the center of attention, and she's eating it up. She goes up to her grandmother and holds up a Bible and says, Grandma, look what they gave me after I got baptized. The church gave me a Bible. And her grandmother looked at this little seven-year-old girl and said, Oh, Hannah, that is awesome. And she looked at it. What a beautiful Bible. You're going to treasure this always. She looked at her grandma and said, Grandma, did the church ever give you a Bible? And the grandmother smiled and said, Hannah, as a matter of fact, when I was your age, seven years old, I got baptized, and they gave me a Bible. And Hannah, big old wide eyes, got all excited. She goes, Grandma, back then I bet it only had an Old Testament. (laughs) You know, uh, when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to this, uh, there's a lot of misconceptions out there. There's a lot that's not understood. And here's the thing I want you to grab. I think for a lot of people, very well-meaning people, they throw this open and begin to look at it and it, it just get lost in it. Uh, one of the questions we get asked a lot by people who are brand new to all of this Christianity is, okay, do I start at the beginning, like Genesis and read, what do I do? And then I can't tell you the number of people that get to Leviticus and say, I'm done. Uh, and, and so what I want you to know is I love the Bible. I think you love the Bible. I love the breadth of the Bible, the depth of the Bible, the teachings of Scripture, the power within it, the joy. For me, it leaps off the page. But I understand that if we don't have some tools to help us effectively dig into it, we may not get everything that God wants us to get out of his word. Now, now I want to make some promises to you. Now, these are, I really, I've thought about it. I've talked with people. I believe we can deliver on these promises. But these are big promises. These are huge. But let me make some promises to you. Now, here's what it's based on. If you will take to heart what I'm about to share with you, if you will agree for the next 31 weeks, uh, starting in September, to enact this in your life, then I'm going to promise you some things will be true. Number one, I'm going to promise you that if you do what we ask you to do, 
You will understand the Bible better than you ever have before. That means if you're brand new to all this and you uh, look at it and you're not sure what to do. Uh, matter of fact, I remember, true story, I, I was a, a, a brand new to all this and I had a Bible in my hand and the pastor said, turn to Job and I couldn't find it. I looked at the table of contents. I found Job, but I didn't find, you know, I thought it was just a list of jobs. And, uh, but you know, if you're brand new, I want to promise you, you'll understand the Bible like you never have before. Are you ready for this? If you've been a Christian a long time, if you do what we ask you to do, you're going to understand the breadth and the depth of scripture better than you ever have before. Everybody here will grow in their biblical understanding. It will come richer and deeper for you. I promise you that if you take to heart what we're saying. The second thing, you will know and understand God better than you have before. You will fall more in love with him and be aware of his love for you. You will understand and know God better than you have before. You ready? The other thing is everything, everything, and this is a big promise, everything in your life will make more sense. Everything in your life is going to make more sense if you do this with us. Uh, and you might say, well, that's a pretty exhaustive and pretty huge promise. I'm telling you it'll happen. It'll happen. And then here's the last thing. You ready? You will know your ultimate purpose. You specifically, you personally will know your ultimate purpose. Now, those are big promises, but why can I say that to you? Because the Bible tells us something about itself. In Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In other words, this is like a light in the midst of a darkness, and you shine it, and you go, Now I see. Now I get it. But let me tell you where I'm going. There's a tool called the story that we're going to be talking about. The story, and this helps you turn the light on like you cannot believe. Now, I, I've seen this, I've had, and I'm personally having this happen in my life right now. I'm ahead of you in it. This is like turning on the light like you cannot imagine. And when you get your hands on this, and you begin to understand how this tool is to be used to help you unlock this, it's going to change everything. And so that's why we can make these kinds of promises. Before we get to this, though, let me talk about this, the Bible. There are three facts, three things that you need to know that, that I don't want you to ever let go of that will help you grab hold of the Bible like you can't imagine. And so here's number one. Number one fact you need to know about the Bible is the Bible is provided by God. The Bible is provided by God. Now I know some of you again might be brand new and you're going, wait a minute, I, isn't it just a book written by men? The answer to that is unequivocally no. No, this is God's word, God's message provided by God. Did he use people to write it? Yes, but God had them be moved by him, inspired by him. He dictated what he wanted down. Every word, jot, and tittle. And so we have people who were used by God to write it, but they were moved by God to do it. And God's word promises that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, all scripture, not some, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now the word inspired is the word in a Greek word that literally means it is God-breathed. God breathed this out. The very breath of God, the essence of God, the mind of God, at least in part, is revealed to us in here. And he inspired people to write it. And so we need to understand and grab hold of this. God provided this for you. Uh, in 2 Peter, we read an incredible thing about Scripture. It says this, So we have the prophetic word 
made more sure to which you do well, you and I do well, to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in our hearts. But know this first of all, know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Did you catch that? It says that it's not a group of men that got together and said, we're going to write this down. It wasn't an act of human will that brought this about. God himself provided his word to us. Now, he used 40 different authors over 1,600 years on three different continents using three different languages to get it to us. Now, I want you to think about that. Because you might say, well, wait, wait, what are you talking about? Well, see here, when God provided his word, he did use people to write it. He inspired them and moved them. But he used 40 different authors over a 1,600-year period of time on three different continents and three different languages to bring this about. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up is if you were to take time, if you're brand new, to investigate the Bible, all of us here, we already know this. Have you noticed, all of you who know Scripture, have you noticed when you read Genesis and you read Exodus and you read Zechariah and you read Matthew that it just all sounds like the same person wrote it? You know why? Because it, it, there really is only one person who wrote it, God. And you can spot that. You can see it. It's not because of the translation from the original language. Even when you use the original language, you see a consistency from one author over all those 1,600 years. By the way, there's no contradictions in here. Uh, it's very consistent. And you see the same author bringing it about in different ways to us. And you can begin to pick up the fact that God provided it to us. Um, one not too long ago, I had someone uh, uh, grab a, a note and they read it and they looked at me and said, why did you write this? And I said, I didn't write that. And they go, yeah, you wrote it. I said, no, Pam wrote it. Look, you could tell a girl wrote that. Don't put that on me. You know what? Honestly, I bet if I write something and Pam writes something, don't you think you could pick up there were different authors? But yet when you read this, you get one author. This is provided by God. And so God took the time to provide it to us. Uh, the next thing I want you to grab is the Bible is protected by God. So number one, it's provided by God. Number two, it's protected by God. If God took the time to provide his word, God is not going to let men mess it up. God, by the way, is powerful enough and strong enough, and, and, and he is smart enough to make sure no one would be able to mess this up. If God himself, just think about it, took the time to provide the word, he's not going to allow people to, to uh, take away from it. He will protect it. And so the Bible's protected by God. Jesus tells us that in Matthew 5, verse 18. It says, for truly I say to you, Jesus said, until the heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. He said, I want to tell you until the heavens and earth are gone, this word will be protected. Down to the smallest parts of it. Down to everything that's there. Now, I was talking with a, a very, um, um, I think, honest uh, a young guy who was in, in, with all integrity seeking to try to know whether Christianity was true and the Bible's true. And so I began to talk to him about the scripture and how this could guide his life and the ways of God would be revealed to him. And he looked at me and he said, but, but isn't it written by men? And I shared with them, no, not really. And I went into all that. Then he said, but hasn't it been changed? Hasn't it been changed? And here's the answer, no. Even a person who knows enough to criticize scripture will not say that it's been changed from its original. 
Do you know why? Because what happened is when the Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek and a little bit in Aramaic, it was written on different what we call manuscripts. And back then, manuscripts were very expensive, the papyri mainly, and they were very expensive, and they were scrolled out and written on, and there were multiple copies of that that ended up, because, because the Romans decided to destroy the Bible, they were hidden all over the world. Now, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these early manuscripts. And as they've been discovered, guess what we found? They all agree. So if someone says that the Bible's been changed, the question is which manuscript was changed? And there's no physical possible way anybody could have gotten to every single manuscript to change them. You may have heard of something called the Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered in the 1950s in some caves uh, in, in an outer desert region of Israel. And when they discovered that, they discovered an incredible volume of the Old Testament in these caves. And you know what they found is those manuscripts are some of the earliest ones we have for the Old Testament actually show us that our Bible has not been changed. You see, God not only provided the word, he protected it. And he did it in a way so that if we only had one manuscript, you might be able to say, oh, that was changed. But because there's multiple copies and they're all out there, and by the way, still being discovered, we find out it has not been changed. God protected his word. He knew what he was doing. The third thing is this, and I really believe it's a fact. You're going to have to decide with me. I believe that the Bible is not boring. The Bible is not boring. And when you start allowing this tool here to help you more than ever, you're going to say, okay, the Bible's not boring. Now, for me, it's not boring because I want to tell you, I know what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit, both of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intention of the heart. Uh, I brought this today. This is a, a knife that I saved up money to buy. This is one of the sharpest chef's knives you could possibly get. Let me tell you how sharp this is. When I first bought it, I was cleaning it carefully, and I took a, a sponge to clean it and did this, and it sliced it in two. This thing's sharp. Matter of fact, uh, Joe, was, who's helping watch out for us today, goes, are you watching that knife carefully? I mean, because this could hurt somebody. Let me tell you something. Today, if I kind of freaked out, <laughs> Doug works for the FBI. Let's say I freaked out over here, and you and Joe are trying to get to me. No, over here, okay. If I took this and started swinging at you, you would have a lot of feelings go on inside you. You would, I want to tell you, you might even have a biological reaction, you know? And, uh, but you know what you would not be if I started going at you with? You would not be bored, right? You wouldn't be bored. You wouldn't be go. oh, he keeps trying to stab me with a knife. Happens every Sunday. Go to church, pastor freaks out, picks up the, there's even a few of you right now going, be careful with that thing. By the way, one time I wasn't, and some of you know I sliced off the end of my thumb. It just, boom, it was gone. I was, whoa. I was not bored. You see, when the word of God is unleashed, it's anything but boring. It's active. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can cut deeply. It can do well. And when you and I allow it to be what it's meant to be, and you grab it and open it up correctly, it's anything but boring. I, in 28 days... I'm going to have been a person who has spent the last 10 years in God's word without missing a day. I'm 28 days away from that. And um, 
I want to tell you, I get up in the morning and open up the word and it leaps off the page. I am not kidding you. I'm not even a morning person, but I grab my coffee and open up the word and it's like, God, and, and I get to interact with him and, and oh, it's incredible. Uh, uh, I, the other day I had a pretty important meeting and all of a sudden I looked up, I'm 15 minutes late. You know why? Because I was in God's word and the time flew like that. Now, now, for many people, the reason this is so hard to understand is because we don't understand how it all fits together. You see, it, it, it's the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are somewhat in chronological order, but the problem is after that, it just tends to seem to go all over the place to us. The order the books are put in are not necessarily scriptural. They're not necessarily God-inspired, the order they're put in. But the, the individual parts of it are. And so here's what we need to understand. We might need a tool to help us understand it better, to help us know how it fits together better. And then when we get a tool like that, what it does is it allows us to see the breadth of Scripture to go to the depth of Scripture. And all of a sudden it comes alive when we find the Bible to be anything but boring. Uh, in 2 Timothy 2.15 it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. In other words, when I have this, this word of truth, this sharp sword, I need to handle it very carefully and accurately. And the key is we want to have people be accurate in how they handle it. And that's where the story comes in. You see, when you understand the story in its breadth, then you can understand its depth and you can get it better than you ever have before and now it makes sense. But when we don't handle it accurately, well then we can mess everything up. And by the way, I think that happens all the time with the Bible, just like any other story. Uh, my mom sent me this and I thought it kind of helps see, helps illustrate why I'm talking about this. And what it is, is there was a pastor who was uh, the pastor of a smaller church, and they would have once a month just say to the people in the church, does anybody have any praises? And he invite them to come up. And Susie, Susie Smith, when he, the pastor said, do you have any praises? She was so nervous, but she couldn't contain not coming and sharing her praise. And she walked up and got behind a table like this and stood there looking out on the church, and she got so nervous she almost fainted. But she just was so excited about what God did, she couldn't help but to start to share it. And so what she said is this. She said, I have a praise. Two months ago, I think almost all of you know that my husband Tom was in a horrible bicycle accident and his scrotum was completely crushed. The pain was excruciating and the doctors were not even sure if they could help him. And with that words, all of the men in the room especially are like, oh, you know, <laughs> gasping. You could have heard a pin drop. She went on to say, we prayed and prayed as the doctors performed a delicate operation and it turned out they were able to piece together the crushed remnants of Tom's scrotum and wrap a wire around it to hold it in place. Now all the men are like, oh, you know. She said, it was hard. Uh, uh, the doctors weren't sure of the outcome and he wasn't able during this period of time to allow his children to sit upon him or for any of us to hold him. And she said, but I have good news for you. Thank the Lord that Tom's out of the hospital and the doctors say that his scrotum is going to recover completely. And with that, everyone's looking and a man stands up and comes walking on the stage and he puts his arm around her. He said, hi, I'm Tom. And I want to tell my wife that the word is sternum. <laughs> I've been waiting a whole month to tell you that. Uh, 
You see, when we get it wrong, we can mess it up completely and put the wrong picture in someone's mind. Um, and, and that's why this becomes so vital. Now, now I've been aiming at this and talking about this. Here's what this is. This, this, this story is a tool. Uh, it actually, by the way, are you ready? This is the narratives of the Bible, not all, but almost all, the narratives of the Bible in chronological order. Now, what it is, is they've taken the NIV and they placed them in chronological order. So when you read through this in 31 weeks and you and I do this together, you will understand the overall story of scripture. It will bring it all together for you. And by the way, it does it with amazing power. It does it with amazing clarity. Now, let me give you an example why. Uh, for instance, in Psalm 59, a lot of people read Psalm 59 and go, I don't get it. And here's why, because you're not sure what happened in the life of David when he prayed that prayer. But in here, you read the life of David, the flow of David, and where a psalm he would have prayed at that time comes, they just put it right in there for you to read. Do you understand why that would be different? And now all of a sudden you go, whoa, this is a powerful prayer because you see what's happening in his life in that moment. So what I wanna ask you to do is this. I wanna ask everybody here, everybody here, no matter what age you are, what level you are in your faith, whether you're brand new to all this and exploring or been a Christian forever, I wanna ask us all, all to do three things. Number one, I want everyone here to buy a copy of the story and I wanna have you, uh, starting in September, read a chapter a week, there's 31 chapters, and all of us will read from Genesis through Revelation, the, the narratives of scripture together, and you're gonna understand it like you never have before. Now, by the way, what I have in my hands now and they're outside is what we call the Crossroads Edition. Uh, it's actually pretty cool because the first pages of it are our church's stuff. Zondervan made a special deal with us that allowed us to come up with a Crossroads edition, which by the way, I think is pretty cool because you can buy a copy of this and give it to someone and say, hey, our church is doing it and they'll read about Crossroads in the beginning. I want to tell you why else I think this is cool. When Zondervan came and said he will do this with you, I thought they were doing it with every church. And while I was gone, I was with 14 of my friends who are pastors, and I said, did you guys get your own edition? And they go, no, we didn't know you could do that. And they called Zondervan, and Zondervan said no. <laughs> I didn't know we were special. Hey, guess what? We're special. And I got to quit doing that to my friends. But, um, but there's a Crossroads edition out there. Now, you can download it electronically if you want, and there's lots of ways to do that. But I'm going to ask everyone here to do it. Now, it costs $10 to get this particular edition. Let me say something. If you're here today and you can't afford it, we'll give it to you free. You know why? We want you to have it. We want you to do it. And don't be embarrassed. Do not be embarrassed. Matter of fact, last night, uh, quite a few people walked up and just have already paid for some of you to get. Now, we're willing to do it no matter what, but a bunch of people are already. So if you're here today and $10 is too much, and I'm not trying to belittle or humiliate at all, I'm just telling you, this is so important. Don't we want our whole church to do it together? And if that's an issue, we're going to do that. So, by the way, there's a lot of other materials you can get with it. This is called Exploring the Story, and we'll give you a bookmark that gives the reading schedule and all those things with it. Uh, there's children's versions out there. By the way, what's so cool? Are you ready? Our children will be going through everything we're going through at the same time. So when you're with your kids, you'll be able to discuss what you're learning. Generate's going to be going through this. Fuse is going through this. All of us are going to do it together. So everybody in church, when we gather together, will be discussing the same thing. So it starts with, number one, getting a copy and doing the reading once a week. Number two, the thing I need to ask you to do is this. I need to ask you to be here on a, on a weekend service. Why? Because when you read, you read that what you've read is what I'm going to teach on. 
So you'll read it. I'll teach on it. So it's good. We want you to read the story. We want you to come and hear the message about that section of the story so I can help you go deeper. And, and we want you to be a part of that. And then the third thing we want you to do is this. We want you to get into a place where you discuss it, where you intentionally discuss it. Now, there's lots of places you could do that. But we're talking about being in a group, and in a group of people that have read this together, heard the message together, and then you get into a, a place together, and you talk about it. Now, by the way, Fuse, if you're in Fuse, you'll be doing it there. If you're in Men's, you'll be doing it there. If you're in Women's, you'll be doing it there. If Mom to Mom, you'll be doing it there. Uh, if, if you're in, you know, um, a Generate, we have groups that are doing it there. Uh, like I said, our children are doing it. Impact's doing it. So all those groups are available. We also have home groups you can get in. All our home groups are going to do this. Uh, if, if you're going, well, you know what, I just want to start my own group. By the way, Pam and I did that. Uh, Pam and I said, okay, we need to be in a place so we can do this. By the way, I want to tell you, I know. I know that I will not get what I need to get out of this if I don't get with a group of people and talk about it. I, I know that's true. And I know I'm going to get more. So Pam and I got uh, three couples, and we've agreed to meet together once a week. And I want to tell you, I'm already so excited to meet with them, I can't stand it. Uh, many of the nights we're going to meet at our house. Some of the nights we're going to meet at restaurants. Uh, by the way, some of you might want to just start your own restaurant group. You could have your Miguel's group, or your Luna's group, or your Claim Jumper group, which then we'll talk about 90 Day Challenge. But, uh, uh, you know, you, you, but you could, you know, go do that, Ma your Macaroni Girl group, or your Starbucks group, or, or, you know, but get with a group of people. Make sure you do that and discuss it. So as we read it, hear it, and discuss it, guess what we're going to find? We're going to find over 31 weeks, you will know the breadth of Scripture like you never have before. You'll know how it fits together, the order it comes in, how God began something in Genesis and carried that same message all all the way through to Revelation. And you're going to see it's amazingly uh, the consistency of Scripture and how it fits together. Now, I do want to give you a heads up on a couple things. Number one, when you get this and open it, you're going to go, wait a minute. The 31 chapters aren't the same as what's in the Bible, and that's on purpose. This is put in more of a novel form. Now, again, what you're going to read is the NIV version of Scripture. It's the Bible. And with a little bit of uh, uh, intro to get you caught up in a place that may need to. But you're going to be reading it just in one flow without any of the Bible chapters and verses. Now you might say, is that okay to do? I mean, is that all right to make that kind of a change? And the answer is yes, it is. I don't know if you're aware of this, but I hope everyone here, again, put this and lock this in your mind. The chapters and verses that are in here are not inspired by God. As a matter of fact, chapters were not a part of God's message, the Bible to us, until the year 1227 when Stephen Langton, an English clergyman, put chapters in it. So you know that God never intended for there to be chapters in here. Verses weren't put in until 1555 in the Latin Vulgate. What we have is chapters and verses did not come about until 1500 years after the Bible was provided. And while I know the good use of chapters and verses, there's some good to it. And in the sense, if I say turn to Matthew 16, which by the way, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Matthew 16, uh, that we all know where to turn to. There's also some things about chapters and verses that mess it up. I'll give you an example. In Isaiah 64, there's a beautiful prayer being prayed. But if you just turn to chapter 64 and start reading, I bet almost none of you will know that. You know why? Because the prayer begins in chapter 63, verse 15. 
You see, it's just a bad chapter division. Uh, the book of Romans. Do you know why the book of Romans is so misunderstood? Because people take it a chapter at a time. Do you realize Paul never intended that? As a matter of fact, the book of Romans would be better for you and I if there were chapters 1 through 11 were one chapter and 12 on was the second and they didn't have the only two chapters. Paul never, a lot of people go, well, it says this here in Romans, but they don't look at what it says a chapter before and a chapter after. And so what happens is we end up not understanding the story the way we should or the message the way we should. And God wants us to do that. Whenever someone comes with to me, my, our young pastors on staff or other people I'm teaching to get into God's word, I always tell them this. Before you start studying anything, you need to know the overall message of scripture. Then you need to know how that particular book book fits into the overall message of scripture. Then you need to know how that chapter fits into that book, which fits into the overall message, before you ever go to a verse. Too often we're grabbing verses and going to them, and we end up not understanding completely. Uh, I want to show you in Matthew 16 a place where that occurs. There's a bad chapter division there. And I've even not very long ago had someone come and say, what is this talking about in Matthew 16? And look what it says in verse 28. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. So what is Jesus talking about? Well, see, if you stop there and go, okay, I, I don't get it. Well, the reason you don't get it is because there should not be a chapter division. So let's read it all in all together. Verse 28. Truly I say to you, there are some of those standing here, the apostles, who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. Do you see when you read it together, there's no question about what happened. Jesus said, some of you are standing here and who are not going to die until you see the kingdom revealed with all its glory. So six days later, he took them and was transfigured, and they saw it. It was fulfilled in six days. And you and I were supposed to get that. And see, in the original, there was no break there. In the original, it just all flowed together so you would understand that was what was being said and that was the purpose of it. Now, I do want to make this clear. This book is an effective tool to help you understand this, but it's not to take the place of this. The story does not take the place of your Bible. You and I need to once a week read this but we need to every single day be in this. Uh, uh, by the way, the story doesn't take away 24-7. Our 24-7 commitment and two-year vision is actually helped by this tool. But it's a part of it. But we still want to have our intentional times of intimacy with God every single day. And so what we'll do by reading this once a week, we'll get more out of this and it will help us and we're going to understand something we can't imagine. Now here's what you're going to get. And I want to make sure we, we, before we end today, let me tell you this. As you read this, and you begin to allow this to open up to you, you're going to see there's what we call the upper story and the lower story. Now, now I know some of you are going, okay, what are you talking about? I'm about to tell you. There's an upper story. The upper story, you'll see very quickly by reading this, you're going to see God's perspective on everything. 
You're going to start to realize God has a plan. God has a purpose. Nothing got outside of God. God wasn't shocked by what occurred, but God had a plan all along. And you're going to begin to see the upper story and God's perspective on everything. And as you understand the upper story, the overall view that God has, you're going to see a lower story. You're going to see it of people who are in the Bible, an Abraham, a Joseph, uh, uh, Moses and uh, David and you're going to see how their, their life in that moment might not make sense but when you see the upper story all of a sudden it makes sense and you're ready this is where it gets good then you're going to see that applies to you this isn't a book about someone else the Bible's about you and when you understand God's upper story it allows you to gain more in your story Max Lucado said it this way He goes, above and around us, God directs a grander saga written by his hand, orchestrated by his will, unveiled according to his calendar. His upper story details the plan of redemption. He is creating an eternal people for an eternal place. Without the lens of the upper story, the events of the lower story perplex and confuse us. They create moments of confusion in which we feel too old, too small, too unqualified, or outnumbered. But in the context of the upper story, our lower story makes so much more sense. Solomon said that because he had just almost wasted his life. He started out so well, and then Solomon got completely messed up. But at the very end, he goes, now I get it. And he writes these words in Ecclesiastes 12, 13. The conclusion, when all has been heard, the conclusion, the conclusion to everything, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring to act to, or every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil, will be revealed. Now you see, Solomon said, now I get it. I get that everything does matter. Everything can be used by God. Everything in the end is not outside of God's control. And when we begin to understand this, you begin to realize there's an upper story that God has, a plan he has. And in your lower story, your area of life, it applies to you. And when you begin to know that, it changes everything. See, it changes our perspective. If you saw a man twisting a child's leg and the child was crying out in pain, you might be tempted to rush in and stop him until you realized it was a physical therapist helping a child who had been in an accident, right? That would change everything. Or maybe you're like a couple that went down to Brazil on vacation and they had a car that they were driving on a mountainous road, dirt road, and it was bouncing everywhere. And the husband was so irritated he couldn't stand it. And people were going slow. And as they began to come towards a a turn, a man comes around the turn and they almost hit each other. And the man yells out his window, pig! And the guy gets so mad, he yells back, cow! And then he goes around the corner and crashes into a herd of pigs. <laughs> okay, I thought it was funny. I need to be honest, it did not go over last night. It, it didn't go over now. I waited a month on that one too. That was a, a waste. But see, the perspective was that he thought at first he was being yelled at. See, you don't realize very often what God is doing. You might think, God, Why? Why is this? And God says, you're going to understand when you come around the turn. You're going to see that it all fits together. You're going to see me doing something amazing for you. Let me give you an example of two different Josephs that you'll read about here. One Joseph was told by God that I'm going to cause you to arise and become a person of prominence and preeminence. I'm going to cause your life to be effective like you can't believe. Others will bow down before you. You're going to be someone who's not only important, you're going to be someone with power. 
And what happens is his brothers betray him. He's sold into slavery and tortured. He then is put into the home of a man named Potiphar where he now serves as a house slave and then begins to oversee his field in the agriculture. He's a falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison. And now in prison, he languishes for years. Now, God had promised so much to him. And he might have thought in his lower story in the moment, God, why, how, how could this be your will? And then it happens. He's elevated to be the number two man in the land of Egypt at a time he's needed more than ever. But guess what? When he becomes that number two man, he knows how to function in the Egyptian court. Why? Because he had worked for Potiphar. And Potiphar was the the head of the, the guard of Pharaoh. So he would have learned all the ways of the Egyptian court. And during that time, he was being schooled in that. When he was overseeing the agriculture, later on, that would be his main job, to oversee the agriculture of the land of Egypt. And he did that as a slave at first, so he learned from the bottom up. Then when he went to prison, he learned how to manage people in difficult situations. And you know what? All of that fed into him being successful. And in the moment, it might not have seemed like it would, but God had his hand on him. You and I are going to understand that about us. You might say, God, I just don't get how this could be something you could use or do good. And God says, I will. And when you understand the upper story, it'll make more sense. Uh, Another Joseph, let's fast forward away from this Joseph to this Joseph. He's engaged to a girl he loves and finds out she's pregnant. And his life comes crashing down. She's the last person he ever thought would betray him. But one thing he knows for sure, that baby is not his. He doesn't get it. His lower story now has taken a horrible turn to an amazing scandal, and he doesn't know how he's going to function. And then God shows him the upper story, that the child has actually been brought to life in a virgin named Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit and the promised one's coming. And all of a sudden, Joseph begins to see it all fits together. You see, whatever Joseph you are, the one in prison, the one in in bondage, the one being attacked or betrayed, or the one who doesn't understand the moment, God has something for you. And when that happens, it changes everything. The upper story shows us that the promise is in prison and solutions can be a part of the scandal. Uh, The upper story shows us that the tragedy at eye level can be a triumph at God's level. You see, God wants you and I to see that. He wants us to understand Ecclesiastes 3.11, that God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in our hearts, yet no man can find out the work which God has done from beginning to end. But one thing this will show you is God has a work he's doing. And God said, I'll make everything beautiful in its time for you and for me. And I know God does this. I love God does this. And I want you and I to have a tool to help us see it more than ever. Uh, in Romans 8, 28, I love this passage. It says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. For to those whom God foreknew, he also predestined. Do you know that? God knew whether you would say yes to him. God knew whether you would choose to let him adopt you and bring you close. And when you said he knew that and he knew your choice you'd make, he had a destiny for you. He predestined something, that you and I would be conformed to the image of his son so that we, he, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brethren and these whom he predestined, he called. And these he called, he justified. And these he justified, he also glorified. You see, when all of a sudden you begin to understand that, you see the end of the story like you can't imagine. Margaret Mitchell wrote a book that's one of the best-selling books of all time called Gone with the Wind. It took her 10 years to write that book. But do you know what she did when she began it? 
she wrote the last three paragraphs. She wrote the end of the book, the last three paragraphs. And then what, for 10 years, she wrote a story that aimed towards that moment when Rhett Butler cusses. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, that's just my take. But anyway, where, where it gets there, and, and here's the thing I want you to grab hold of, is that God has already written the end of the story, not just for the whole world, but for you. He's written it. And here's what God wants it to be in Revelation 21, 3 to 7. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He wants to be close to you and to me. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. And the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit all these things and I will be his God. Now catch this next line. And he will be my son or my daughter. God says, you know what the end of the story is? Is I want to bring you to heaven to a place where you'll never have sadness or hurt or pain. Where you're going to be my child. You're going to start to realize something as you do this with us. That the story is about you. The story is that you matter to God. The story is that he wants you in a relationship with him where he's your dad. The Bible even says, and you'll read this, that he wants to be your Abba Father. And if you're here today and you don't realize this, are you ready? God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. Now when we hear that, that sounds religious, but it's not. It's reality. God so loves you. You matter to him. And the reason he provided this and protected this was so he could give you a message, a love story about you and him. And today, if you're here and you've never embraced that, if you've never said yes to God, the Bible actually tells us how we enter into this relationship. Here's what we do. The Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Pray to him, talk to him, share with him. And guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna find God drawing you close. Today, if you would pray a prayer and say, God, I really, I, yes. I want my life with you. I want the life you have for me. I want to be yours. You know what God's going to do? He's going to adopt you. He's going to wipe away all the sin from your life, all the failure from your life, and make you a new creation. And today, my prayer is some of you would say that to God. You would say, God, I'm not going to walk out of this building the same. I'm going to change and be changed by you. And again, how does that begin? It begins by you telling him. Today, there might be some of you here you came here because you need comfort. You're hurting. There's pain. And maybe you caused it and maybe someone else did it to you. I can just tell you this, that God is so big and God is so powerful and yet God is so loving and he wants to be so close that he would love to wipe that away. You don't need to let that dictate your life or define your life any longer. And today, if you would pray that prayer and say, God, I want to give my life to you, all the mess of it, all the hurt, all the pain, God is going to take you and he's going to show you how the upper story now applies to you. And you're, and you're going to go, God, how do you take something like this and turn it for good? God goes, watch, I'll do it with you. And you'll step back free. You don't have to walk out of here with the weight of the world upon you anymore. You could be just able to let it go. And today, if you would say yes to God, that could happen to you.
There's some of you here today, your marriages need to be transformed and you need to now allow yourselves to go to God together in the upper story. It's gonna change everything. And I think there's a couple here today, your kids have been praying that would happen. You need to give it to God. There's some of you that need to to recommit your life to him. You at one time said yes to God, but your heart is not his. Your love is not his. Your, Your mind isn't focused on him and you're not finding him working in your life, but he wants to. And what do you need to do? You need to pray that prayer again and just say, God, I recommit. So today, the story could be written for you. Today, this could be yours. You could start finding the destiny, the love, the care, the life he wants for you. But it starts with praying a prayer and saying yes to him. So let's go to God in prayer. And if you're ready today, I'm gonna ask God to stir and touch you. And I'm gonna ask you right where you're sitting to whisper this prayer with me. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I love your word. I love the message that tells me I matter to you and that other people in this room matter to you. I love, God, that you take some of the most scandalous, tragic moments in our life, moments that are almost nightmares, that we just pray it would end. And you take your love and your light and you take that and you turn it for good. And God, I know that that when we allow ourselves to be taken into your presence and taken into your love and live life with you and and be yours, that, that you do that with us. And God, right now I pray, my Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would start touching people. I pray right now there would be people in this room, men, women, guys and girls, who would feel you stirring and touching and knowing this is their moment for some to come to you for the first time, for others to recommit, for some to find that pain, that loneliness just pushed away. God, I pray you're touching people right now. I pray you're helping that person who's sitting here and they've done something they know they never should have done. They can't believe it. They don't know how to do anything about it, but you do. It's about to be their moment. They just say yes. Father, I pray for that couple that their children have been praying for them. And they don't like their life. They've thought about walking away and and that's the last thing they should do. I pray you're gonna touch them and somehow right now, both of them are gonna know it's a day to say yes to you. And Father, I pray for a person who's been wondering, is this all true? And God, I pray right now there's something happening and they're so glad to know it is. And it's for them. So I ask God right now that your spirit touch people. I want to ask that we keep praying. And would all of you who are believers, would you start praying for people to come to know the Lord or to come back? Start praying for them. And right now, I'm going to lead a prayer. And if anybody here wants to say yes to God, I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. If you want to recommit your life to God, I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. Just whisper these words. Let's just do this together. I'd love to do it with you. So right now, if you're ready to be his or come back to him, say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me all my sins, to heal me from hurt and from pain, to free me from worry and fear from my past and from myself. And you did this so I could be yours. So I say yes. Yes, I want you. And yes, I want the life you have for me. So I open my heart to you. 
please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be, think about this, say these words, help me be who you created me to be and help me, oh Lord, to live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, praise God.